0: True Crime Broads with Crystal and
1: Renee.
0: Hello, welcome to True Crime Broads. This is Crystal. And Renee. And I know we always say this, but we mean it. Tonight's an amazing episode. We're so excited about it. We have the one and only Cody McKinney. Formerly of Midlothian PD, formerly in charge of the Missy Beavers investigation, he is on tonight's program. Renee, what do you think about that?
2: So excited. Um, he's such a nice guy, and I think everybody's going to uh, find out uh, that he's really good at his job, and he's very informative, and he's got, he wears many hats.
0: <laughs> he is, you know, I've always heard from so many people, yourself included, that he is a super nice guy, and he sure is. Our listeners are going to love this episode. But before we get into it, we just had a couple of things we wanted to do. Um, Renee, did you want to give some information or do you want me to go? Yeah, I can. Um, Okay, so
2: on the billboard, we are, what is today's date? Like the 20th? We have like 10 more days. Um, We've got to get, I think we're at 200. We need 200 more dollars for the billboard. So if anybody's planning on um, donating please get with me or Crystal and let us know that you want to donate. Um, And then if you do send it like via Zelle, Venmo, whatever, just put in the um, comments that it's going to be for the Missy Beaver's billboard. Uh, Many people, several people have done that so far. And thank you to everybody that has uh, donated thus far. Uh, We truly appreciate y'all. There's a lot of people that continually donate. um, And then there's been some new people donate. So all of you, thank you so much uh, because we couldn't do it without you. We really we really appreciate
0: it. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, and Renee, it's actually the 21st of January, which is crazy. Can I you know. believe? And it was 80 degrees today, y'all in Texas.
2: Gosh, Not oh, tomorrow.
0: tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's going to be like snowing in the middle of the week. It's, this is the most bipolar month. I think that Texas has is probably February. Yeah, <laughs> literally. It's going to be in the twenties one night this week, but it's going to go whipping right back up again soon. So you never and know it's, happen. And don't go get all the toilet paper and the milk and the bread because this it's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not even going to be freezing long enough to stick. So we're going to be good. We're going to be good. This is going to be. This isn't like snow Snowmageddon of early 2021. <laughs> that was a fiasco. That but, was. Um, but um, okay. So I was gonna before we get going, I was gonna read a review really quick. Um, The most recent review we got, the title of it is My Favorite Podcast, and it's five stars, and it was written by Dino or Dino, I'm not sure which, Dino 40 pun, and he or she said, I first heard about this podcast on Reddit as I was trying to dig deeper into the Missy Beavers case. Crystal and Maria do an amazing job analyzing the case as they are local to it and provide way more information than you could find anywhere else. Trust me on that. They do this podcast from the goodness of their hearts and to finally get this case solved. Also, their intro music bangs and it gets me hype. The only, my only complaint is that I wish they would do more episodes. Now, that's a really good segue to, I forget to mention him a lot, our theme song singer, and he also wrote it. His name is Lil Bleepo, L-I-L-B-L-E-E-P-O. And he is on Apple Music and Spotify and he is actually a friend of my son's. He had my son's, it was his best friend's older brother's best friend. And they had been on a vacation together and came back and he was telling me all about Lil Bleepo's music and we started listening to it in the car. And then he was gracious enough to let us use one of his songs for our theme song. So shout out to Lil Bleepo, check out his music. And um, okay, without further ado, let's that's let... All is that nice i love Lil <laughs> that's awesome
2: i know i do love his songs i really do um and a lot of people do i've heard that i have a quick question though yeah when you were reading that you said uh that they said crystal and maria
0: did i say that that was yeah. me and i was like i kind of went "What?" <laughs> what <laughs> I told you I was tired okay it's Crystal and Renee and if I said I was just today, curious
2: I mean you it sounded like you read it and I thought oh, oh my goodness did they think my name is Maria or what happened I, so wouldn't
0: put, I wouldn't put anything past me today so yeah <laughs>
2: if I said that I'm so sorry no that's okay I just thought it was so funny okay cool that's awesome
0: well I certainly know what your name is not to mention it, it's written in big letters in front of my face on zoom right now <laughs> in case so I were to forget Jimmy. Oh, but anyways, enjoy the episode. Without further ado, here is um, Case. Uh, good night. What is wrong with me? I'm I'm a mess. I drove to Weatherford and back today, and for some reason, that just destroyed me. So you drive way more than I did today. And <laughs> for some reason, it just knocked me out. But um, oh, I did want to mention that there's a part at the interview toward the beginning where Renee and I. We're just like so overwhelmed and nervous that when Cody stopped talking, we didn't say anything and he goes, did I lose you? So you guys just bear with us. We had a long day and we're doing our best, but things pick pick up after that. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody. And we hope you enjoy this interview and, oh, and anytime anyone leaves us a five-star review, it really helps us to keep going and covering Missy's case. So enjoy the episode and we appreciate each and every one of you. Hey, Renee, you know, what's really cool is the She's Birdie little alarm thing for your keychain. I just love mine.
2: know they really are cool. They have a lot of different colors. And the thing is, is that you just hook them on your belt loop or like your purse or something. And if you ever come into a situation where you feel like you're, you know, somebody's coming at you or uh, you're in a dangerous situation, you just pull it, pull it out. And it has this extremely loud sound. And it also has a strobing light. That can deter them because it's gonna draw the attention of everybody
0: around you. Yeah, and we learned that, didn't we? And we did. <laughs> if you're eating Mexican food and you rip it open, it's gonna go off. So That's yeah, exactly right. Well, at least we found out how loud it is. We probably wouldn't have known if I hadn't have been so dingy. So yeah, those things are deafening. I mean, they are really loud, and they do the job. If anyone heard that that was trying to attack you or approach you or grab your purse or anything, I promise you they would take off running.
2: For sure. And you know what's good is there's there's a lot of people out there that and are in, aren't interested in getting a gun for whatever reason. Maybe they're afraid of them or you know, whatever these things are, nice and affordable. So if you have women in your life that you want to make sure that they're safe, or you know they're often out by themselves, maybe in college or go shopping at night or whatever, uh, get these, get them one of these because they're super affordable and they really are helpful to have with you to make sure that you're you're kept safe and you can deter an attack or you know like she said, somebody grabbing your purse or whatever.
0: Yes, they. I just love having mine, and they're cute looking too. I love the colors. I got my daughter. And one of my friends, a, like the lilac lavender color. And I got the light pink and I love mine. Didn't you get blue? I got lavender too. Oh, that's right. I kind of regretted not getting lavender. That's why I was buying it for everyone else. Um, But yeah, I like my pink one. It's a really cool pink. It's like a Pepto-Bismol pink kind of. It's really a happy color. I love it. it. Yeah. Oh, and hey, I got mind blown when you were like, I think you called me by the wrong name in the review. (laughs) when I was ready to be so then I forgot to say what I wanted to say about Cody McKinney he is such a nice gentleman and he is apparently running for justice of the peace and if you're you know able to vote in that precinct our local listeners please vote for Cody he is a super nice guy I've he is, I've just heard from everybody who knows him says he is just a stand-up guy and wants the best for his community so we just wanted to put that in there but give him that little plug because we really do we believe in cody he is awesome so
2: yeah he, i think he would be really good for the community he's a longtime resident of ellis county um, he has done so many things and he really you can tell he's really genuine and really cares about uh, you know people and, and that's why he does what he does so i think he would be an excellent
0: candidate for that position for the president yes, awesome so don't forget to get out there and vote for cody mckinney our local ellis county listeners And um, everybody else, we are so happy you're here. Thank you for joining us on True Crime Broads, and enjoy the program. Okay, everybody, we're so excited. We are here with Cody McKinney. Hello, how are you? Hey, Renee. Hey, uh, Cody, thank you so much for being on
2: our podcast. Um, Go ahead and introduce yourself for any of our listeners who may not be familiar with who you are and, and what you do.
3: Absolutely. Again, thank you guys for asking me to be on. Um, my name is Cody McKinney. I have a little over 20 years of uh, law enforcement experience, most of that being in specialized investigation. I spent a vast majority doing uh, criminal investigations, but more specialized. I was um, assigned to an IRS task force for, um, let's say about eight years. And our main focus, there's a, let me back up just a little bit. There's a criminal side and then there's a civil side to the IRS. We worked on the criminal side and we worked money laundering cases, basic, uh, based around illegal activities such as uh, money laundering for uh, legal gambling, um, narcotics distribution, most of your your cartel stuff, um, prostitution, your big prostitution rings. But that's mainly what we did, and we just worked money laundering cases through there. Um, worked CID at Middle Ocean Police Department, again, assigned to the task force. We worked mostly narcotics, to be honest with you. That was our big bread and butter was all the narcotics basically work. And then um, I spent some time with um, DEA, which is basically strictly all narcotics. I did a, about a year with them prior to being pulled back to the PD to help out with investigations and work some of their um, specialized investigations. So anything that may be outside of CIDs, so if you have a drug problem and you need to place a your drug complaints or there's a you know alleged prostitution going on at your local truck stop, truck stop or motel or at a house, then I would come in and work those um, those those type of things. But um, so I've been doing this for a little over 20 years. I've also been in supervision and administration. I was a commander. I've been a sergeant. I'm currently a sergeant over the criminal investigation division. Um, so I've I've had the I've had the luxury of working with Midlothian Police Department, but assigned to federal task force and working in conglomeration with federal, state, local law enforcement. Um, so I've I've kind of got a a mod podge of experience uh, over the 20, 20 past years. Um, I retired from Midlothian um, back in July, and I started with Red Oak police department over their criminal investigations division in in august so i didn't have much of a retirement (laughs) three three days later i went back to work so
0: oh wow that's awesome you've had such a fantastic career and you're still at it
3: Uh, yeah i've been very fortunate you know and when i first got started everybody starts off in patrol and i I love my patrol guys but some people can do patrol their whole career and we have to have those people but i was always inquisitive investigator let's go beyond just a traffic stop let's go beyond the call i want to I want to learn more, I want to know more, so um, I was very fortunate that I had a bunch of people in my life that I worked for that saw that, that I had that, that drive to do that, and so I got to do canine, I got to do SWAT. I got to do you know interdiction, and I, but all the time I just wanted to get into those specialized investigations to be part of a task force, and so again, I, I've just been very fortunate in my career.
0: Wow, and you're clearly a very hard worker, and they're glad to have you, I know they are at Red Oak. Um so, have so you're pretty new at Red Oak? Is it going well so far? Are you enjoying it?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. You know, um, Go I've got a good group of guys. They got great leadership there. I, I know the chief from way back when I was when I first started in law enforcement. He was working in patrol uh, in Cedar Hill, and I met him because I used to catch shoplifters at Kohl's while I put myself through school. And I was reserving um, through the, the sheriff's department at the time. And while I was a reserve, I was working full time there, and I just got to meet him because of all the shoplifting cases and. Um, several years later, we reconnected back in Lothan, he came to work for us there, and he got to work, um, I guess he worked under me, technically, for a little bit, and then he ended up promoting up to where, you know, he's he's always just a natural leader, you know, everybody just gravitates to, to those people who just start off in patrol, and they, they've been in patrol, and their core base is patrol, and they've done SWAT, and they just, they have all this knowledge, not only have the knowledge, they have the know-how, because they've implemented, they've done that, and I, I just think that those are the type of leaders that people gravitate to because they've been in the shoes. They've done the things that, you know, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do or haven't done myself. So, uh, they got a great chief there. And he asked me if I would be interested and I said, absolutely. Any chance to come back, work, work under you. Oh, that's
0: awesome. Renee, did you have a question for Cody or do you want me to start? Go ahead. Okay. Um, I was just kind of curious, Cody, um, when, when, a police department is working an investigation. And, um, you know, what is the starting point? Do you look at, I mean, obviously if there's surveillance video, you look at the video, how does it begin? Do you, what's sort of the anatomy of an investigation? Do you divide it up among a certain group of investigators or what's kind of step one when something horrible happens in the community? Where do you start after the uh, obviously the process? You know, you process the crime scene, but what what's step one?
3: I guess you know. Let's just start off at the beginning. So when we when you're in patrol, you have to go through intermediate, basic, and intermediate crime scene, right? It's part of your licensing, and because they are initially the first responder, so what we try to ingrain in them from starting from day one, showing up on a scene, is you know crime scene preservation, office, you know officer safety, but also be aware of your environment, try to remember where you saw things, because what happens is people get sucked in because depending on what type of offense, if it's a robbery or, you know, uh, a homicide for, for instance, and they find a gun, you know, everybody kind of focuses in on the gun and everybody wants to go grab it, make it safe. So no one gets hurt. And you have to teach them, you know, okay, don't touch anything unless, unless there's some uh, emergency right then don't touch it. But everybody, I think, When you respond to something, you're seeing things that you wouldn't normally see, you know, a deceased person or just somebody that's hurt and other people just feel like they have to do something. So they just start doing things because they don't know what to do. And I think we run into problems there, but um, what we try to ingrain in those, in the guys is scene preservation. As soon as you get there, as soon as the scene is made safe and there's no other threats, then let's start locking it down. Make a list of everybody that's here and everybody's been here, make sure you wear gloves be surprised how many scenes we've shown up on and no one's wearing gloves um that just that causes more problems and more challenges down the road especially when it comes time for prosecution and wow yeah and doing that process you can't handle a crime scene how can you know it's, it's that we want to limit the amount of ammunition we give the defense you know um so just being cautious of your your crime scene show up take pictures you can never take too much pictures i tell everybody take pictures to your camera doesn't work anymore we we don't have to it wasn't like when i first started we had to go get these things developed you know we right. we yeah. can plug these we plug these cards in now we can we can see all the video and, and you know the, the pictures we want um so start the crime scene log, secure it and then call your your cid investigator is on call so we all take a rotation of being on call and really just depends on the type of call that investigator may call the rest of the cid unit and say hey this is going to be something bigger than what I can handle by myself. We're going to have to write a search warrant for this, this crime scene so that we can make sure we have the legal right to be here, especially if it's in a house or a business, and we're going to be in there taking evidence and property. We have to start securing a search warrant so that we can do that. So that's all going to take time. But, uh, and what you don't realize is because you don't see the the boring side of investigations on TV because nobody would watch those shows. Because, <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's two to three hours just to write a search warrant. Um, so that you can go in and now process the crime scene. Um, so th- the main goal is to try to capture everything you can. Um we've had some you know large scale uh, investigations that we've done, but we just the main goal is to capture as much information and retain it, secure it, preserve it as fast as we can before we lose it.. Um, So anyways, um, after you secure your search warrant, um, you obviously want to get gloved up and determine, okay, uh, these are the duties, you're really good at this. So you may delegate, okay, uh, you know, Cody, you're really good at writing search warrants, so you're going to be the main guy who writes all the search warrants. We all want them to kind of read the same. We don't want them to be any different. Um, Not everybody writes the same search warrants. Not everybody includes the same kind of language everybody's search warrants are different. I've been writing the same type of search warrant. It always changes some of the, the language just so I can keep track and keep up with, you know, current case law and things of that nature. Um, but that's that's a really important part because you may lose evidence if you have, you know, three people writing two different search warrants and did you write it? If it was out of county and it was seized, did we have legal right to seize it? And how do we you know process it? And how do we, you know, there's, there's just a lot that goes into those types of search warrants um so we secure our search warrants then we go in and go okay is this even something we have the knowledge base to even work you know because a lot of this training specialized training like blood spatter training um that that's a very very interesting and very expensive school i haven't been to it but other people that i I worked with that wanted to go we sent them so i always want to build up my team with people who find something that they're interested in and let's send them i don't need to be the main guy that knows everything i don't want to be I want other people to know things I want people to know how to do things so that you know when I leave I they know how to do it you know I'm not walking away with some some big piece of the puzzle you know I've, I've always been taught to train somebody how to do the job that's I think build people up you know? and so you got to get got to make sure that you know your team is adequately staffed and trained to work that and if not you have to step back and go hey boss you know what We don't know how to work this type of thing i think we need to call xyz we need to call these people or we need to call this crime scene unit because this is what they deal with and work more of these because of the nature of this we can shadow them and work with them but i think we need to have them here to kind of coach us and go through it Um, that was
2: literally my next question
3: (laughs) oh yeah so at what
2: point do you decide to do that yeah
3: yeah just depending on how big your crime scene is and what it is if it's a homicide i can tell you what i'm calling i've worked a couple homicides but not There's people I have on speed dial, I've saved in my phone, because if I know if I have a homicide, that's what they did for a majority of their career in larger agencies. And that's the person I'm calling. I'm going to go say, hey, I need your help. Can you show up out here and walk me through this?
0: Is there ever, Cody, a situation where there will be a crime scene in a building or something and you don't have to get a search warrant? Has that Um, ever happened?
3: Well, yes and no, but I always err on the side of caution. So... It's always good to get a search warrant, even when you get consent. And that's one of the things we have to do. People hear search warrant, they're like, oh my God, I don't wanna write a search warrant. I don't know how to write a search warrant or it's gonna take forever. Yeah, it is gonna take forever and they should take forever. You don't ever wanna rush. You know, I've, I, I fell into this thing where I got rushed on a, a search warrant once. Um, and unfortunately it was one that made national news. And as soon as it popped up on TV, I saw my errors that I had and I was like, oh no. You know, and it's because I didn't take the time and I was rushed. And um, you gotta be real careful in that. And it's just normally you wouldn't think, well, no one's gonna see my warrants, but it could happen. It could show up on national news, and people all over the country see it, and go, like, "Oh my gosh, this is embarrassing." Because I see all these, and I know it's gonna be pointed out. Um, but yeah, so all residents, you really have to get search warrant for all residential, even if you know they even give you consent. I would still you can get written consent, but you have to determine am i talking at the person i'm talking to right now may not be my suspect who owns this house they may not be suspect until i get in there and realize oh this isn't how it looks or how they said they're actually the suspect all right you know, so and if they don't have the ability to withdraw their consent and you're doing it on a written cons- so it's always better because what happens is if you get a written consent from somebody they have to be able to withdraw that consent so if they are not around, or they can't see what you're doing, or looking at, and they can't tell you to stop. If they're sitting in the back of the car, they you got them detained, but they signed a written consent. That's going to get thrown out because their attorney's going to argue, "Well, my my client couldn't tell you to stop because you had him locked in the car. You no, know, he didn't have the ability to withdraw his consent. It just depends. So I always say, error on the side of caution. We always. I always write search warrants. Even if I've got consent to search a phone, they give me a written consent, depending on the topic case you now, um, I'll still get a search warrant. And I'll just put it in my search warrant that even though the person, you know, they gave me written consent to search phone, I still believe that, you know, based on um, the circumstance and the evidence that this needs to be a search warrant. Because what's gonna happen is I'm gonna end up retaining that at some point. And we can get into a whole other topic about victims of crimes, uh, especially like sexual assault, but something they've met online and they've been texting back and forth, you know, and they give us consent to search their phone. I, it it always bothers me because I feel like I'm victimizing them again because I'm gonna take their phone. And if there is evidence on there, they're not gonna get it back, you know, because we have to retain that now because now we have to make that available as evidence and we have to make it available to the defense whenever it's time to go to trial
0: wow you know i've taken the only
3: part of you know so there's a lot that goes into this and and i hate taking people's property especially on someone who's a victim of something
0: as Mm. investigators do you guys ever worry that let's say that you need to get a search warrant to go into the crime scene to start investigating do you ever worry that during the few hours it takes to get that search warrant that maybe evidence might get contaminated or disappear
3: no so well well yes you're always worried about that they had a crime scene just recently worked where it started raining and the crime scene was outside and there was blood that we needed to, you know at least photograph and try to get swabs of and it started to rain really heavily so now we're just trying to secure it Mm -hmm. so you're trying to preserve it you're you're getting the swab and you're you're you can always go back and retroactively go based on these reasons i was in this house and there was there was uh, the, the evidence was going to be lost because of X, Y, Z. So I secured it.
0: Oh, okay. Yes. Now I'm going
3: to go back and write a search warrant saying what I did. And these are the reasons why. Um, okay. Those, makes- those, those were, those were covered, but yeah, there's, there's instances where you have to go in and secure the scene. You make sure everybody's out to make sure all the guys are out. And we're just sitting on that house now until CID gets there or until CID, CID gets there with the search warrant. Are you guys?
2: No, no we're, we're, here. Here. <laughs> okay, okay. we're here.
3: We're trying so, to retain. We're trying to retain all of this. Yeah. No, so right. you know, um, you know, just like a uh, in, in, on homicide. So when we go and process the scene, you know, and it's and uh, I love our firemen, our second responders. And I, I say that jokingly, um, but a fireman are great. You know, <laughs> when they show up to a scene and they're supposed to do their job, you know, they're they're contaminating the crime scene essentially because they're going to move the body. They're going to start giving you know, first aid, and now things are different. Right. So that's that's the great thing about the body cameras. When people started complaining about body cameras, I thought it was the best thing in the world. I right. used those all the time. We used to have them on, you know, they would record to a VHS tape in the trunk of our car. Um, oh, wow. When I first started, it was the old dash. It was an old home, home handheld camera that had a little bitty VHS tape that was strapped to the dash. Oh, and um, I used it all the time even just on simple stuff. If I checked out on anything, I turned it on. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get in the habit of using it. It's a great tool right? Um, uh, for crime scenes, for accidents, just for talking with people in the public. And, you know, you have a conversation with someone on the side of the road. And, you know, the next night they go, man, there was a guy over here that broke in. This is a description. You go, man, I think I talked to that guy. And then you can go back and you can kind of, you know, look at that. Um, it's a different mindset. When you get into CID, you kind of think differently than you do do in patrol and that's just because it's two different worlds you know um as an investigator you're, you're not just your monday through friday kind of guy your cases are yours you can you put a lot into them you're working after hours it follows you home you know you have to answer emails when people send emails and you have to make phone calls when people you know people have life you know not like in patrol when you're done on patrol you go home for two days or for whatever your time's off and then you don't have to come back until it's time to come back to work You're kind of married to these cases and investigations. So you end up working from the time it reaches your desk, you put the case together, you follow up, you get statements, you write search warrants, you gather the evidence. Then you do case prep you put everything together. You take all the patrols vehicles, make copies of those, and now you turn over this whole package to the DA's office. And then you'll get assigned an investigator, and they're going to call you going, hey, we need X, Y, Z. And you get this for us uh we didn't get this do you have a copy of this can you go back now and write a search warrant for this We think we need to get this so you're 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 married to a case until it gets disposed of or goes to trial and then wow. you have to go do all the case prep with the da's office before you go testify and you end up testifying a lot in investigation even more so than the patrol office you originally started at home you know, Most I... of
0: the police department i'm sorry do most of the police departments have body cameras in the area like Red Oak
3: and yes just about all all law enforcement agencies now have them and there's even grants for them because I think it's even a requirement to have them um so I you know people sometimes like it sometimes don't and um, I think they're a great asset for us it cuts down on a lot of complaints um, mm-hmm. when people want to complain about the officer you know they were rude or they were this or they were that um, we can go back and look at that right um you know but we all have our own opinions you know and I I have I have some concerns about because because of the way technology operates, law enforcement historically and always will be behind the times, and even even our laws essentially are behind the times of what our society actually looks like. You know, when you're working on a case and you haven't even you know made the arrest or maybe the person's been arrested and you know the media is already asking for video. You know, they're trying to do open records requests, trying to gather stuff when. it it becomes this I haven't even investigated this case yet. there's still so much to do this isn't the case in its entirety um I don't know if we should necessarily be releasing you know footage to be chopped up you know to help the media gain numbers because when you start trying to go to trial on something especially something that's a hot topic and everybody has seen it or heard it or has put their spin on it now to everybody or it's all over social media that's hard to find a jury that can sit on that jury and go, I haven't heard of that, or I haven't seen that. Right. So those are some of the challenges we have. And I'm not saying keep evidence from people. What I'm saying is, let us let me present the case, let me gather everything and submit it to the DA's office, and the answer's been accepted. You know, maybe not release the video because it has evidence of this case, and we don't want people to just chop it up and put it out on the media. Now they're, they're able to form their own opinion based on whatever's released, and I just think it's hard nowadays to try to find a jury who has it. because of this, we have to have it now and we're entitled to this and it's ours. and but again, that that is our society, and that's that stuff we constantly have to deal with. We not that we want to keep information secret from people, but there's some information we just can't release and shouldn't release.
0: Right. That makes sense. But you don't want to get in the
3: habit of you don't want officers to start writing things misleading so that we're not you know, releasing information because we're going to be required to release it at some point and you're trying to write it so that no one knows the intricate details that maybe only the suspect knows. You know, we have to hold on to some cards that we know about things that we don't want to release. So even when you write search warrants, you have to be... All we really want to do is necessitate probable cause. We want to make sure that when the judge reads that, he believes that it's more probable than not that this actually happened. We don't want to put all the details in an arrest, excuse me, an affidavit. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, that that becomes an open record, and we haven't even, you know, we're not even into this investigation. So, is there, it there's a lot of
0: Is it true you can only seal a search warrant for thirty days, and then you have to go in front of the judge to get an additional thirty days?
3: Yes, that is correct okay i've I've had to do that a few times um and 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 those seals i mean they're great i guess but the problem becomes is depending on what you're sealing it for you may not even get those records back in 30 days you might not even get them back in 60 days depending on what they are Mm, right and we don't want that person to be able to go and destroy or say for instance for a cell phone and we want their records so we can determine if they talk to our our suspect that we believe may be involved in a homicide, Well, if it gets out there before we can get the records or, and then we can't, so we have to get the records to say, yes, they actually had that conversation. Now we need to go find that device. Now we need to go to serve a search warrant on that person's house so we can get the cell phone. If he finds out that the information is out there that we've already asked for the records, you know, that that cell phone could be destroyed. That makes so, sense.
2: Yeah,
0: what if it, what it, if somebody wipes their cell phone clean, like factory clean, and then they they give it to you? Can you um, can they get in trouble for that?
3: Well, you, you can it would have you would have to know that they knew that it had evidence of something on. It. You would have to be able to prove that. okay. Um, I, I,
0: I heard something about in the Delphi case. Of course, that's Indiana. nothing to do with us here locally, but I just heard that the guy that they've been questioning, he wouldn't give up his cell phone. And then when he quote unquote found it, it was factory wiped when he gave it to police. So I thought that was right. interesting.
3: Now there's a way for them to go back and determine when that phone was actually wiped. And they that may be something of interest because if you wiped it after they were asking for it, yes. that, would, that would support their claim that he's tampering with evidence or destroying
0: evidence. Ah, yes, that makes sense.
3: So there's a lot of things on the forensic side that can be done with computers and stuff. So- and cell phones, and everybody lives on their cell phones. Um, right. I do a lot of a lot of cell phone search warrants. You know, we have the Cellbrite system, which is a forensic extraction um, software uh, that we use for um, doing the data extractions. Um, that's kind of where I've made my bread and butter, is doing those. That uh, school is very... Uh, long school and it's complicated especially if you're not in if you're not a techie guy and you like cell phones and you know it's about a forty five hundred dollar expenditure just to get the training and then you know to have the system runs you know anywhere from six thousand dollars a year just to, to make the system to keep it up and running with all the current updates because that's always always changing um but nowadays it's just there's so much out there we live in this technological world, um, a lot of agencies don't know to capture that. They don't know to do a preservation request for this or you know, do a preservation request to this company for his email or, you know, we need to dump this cell tower just in case we feel like that suspect you know may have bounced off that tower. I mean, that takes a lot of work. And if you're new to investigations or you're, you're, your agency has a small department and they don't handle stuff like that, it's it, you have to start asking for help.
2: Now that makes that makes sense. Um, do you know of a case that um, has has uh, used Google Earth to get evidence to solve a case
3: or a crime? Um, no, not well, no. Um, I've used I've used Google Earth for like uh, mapping out a location for a geofence search warrant. Mm-hmm. So um, you can do cell phone search warrant geofence search warrants for a um and that's usually opened up through google earth and you go in and set your pins and then you put those uh, coordinates into your search warrant you say i want i want to know from you know google all the cell phones that entered in or around this this perimeter that i set for this time frame
2: okay that makes sense
3: and um those those are very interesting and complicated warrants. Um, the information you get back is just it's there's a whole there's a whole lot of them. every phone is has Google on it whether it's an iPhone whether it's a Samsung whether it's it's whatever. So there are ways to do that, but again, it just depends on how much time the investigator has, how big the agency is, what kind of resources they have. Um, a lot of your smaller agencies aren't aren't going to think that way or do those things. and it, and some of it's just because they don't know how to
0: right. That sounds and very sometimes and sometimes
3: you have to go <laughs> there's been times where I've reached out to smaller agencies and I go, hey, I heard this happened over there. Do you guys need any help because I know how police officers are. They don't like to ask for help. so i've I've called those agents, go, hey, is there anything I can help you out with? You know, and that's. We just learn to do that over so many years especially when people have had to do that for me you know I've had people from larger agencies go hey I heard this happened over there and it's a lot of them because they lived here. you know a lot of families live a lot of police officers live in the local. and they work for a lot of different agencies and they'll go hey I heard this happen today you need help with anything I can do any resources we have and they be able to help you guys out so that's awesome um, yes but I'm sorry, I don't think I think I got off topic a little bit. So um, that's okay.
0: I did want to circle back to one more question about body cans. Here locally, I mean, I've heard different. I've heard them being used different ways, but here locally, like in the Ellis County area and southern Dallas County, do you mostly just use them for patrol, or would you actually use them to approach a crime scene and start investigating it?
3: Oh, absolutely. Uh, so if you get called to the scene, or in, a lot of our policies usually mirror the same way. Um, and that's because a recent case law that came out and new new laws that went into effect about activating cameras. If you have one, you're supposed to activate it and show up on scene regardless. Um, so our CID guys all have cameras assigned them, and when they get when they're on call, they're required to take their camera with them. When they show up, they activate their camera. All the cameras have to stay rolling until you're done with your investigation. And I mean for that for that evening or for that whatever that call was um we just don't leave them on just have them recording if there's nothing else to gain or gather and you've processed your scene and you're done then you turn off the
0: that makes sense now you had told us about the search warrants potentially being sealed mm-hmm. for 30 to 60 days why would an autopsy report be sealed in a homicide investigation
3: because um uh, the main thing that come to my mind is because it'll The autopsy report from the enemy will will specify how that person died, maybe what was used, what instrument was used or believed to be used in that. And they go, That makes sense. That
0: may be things they want to confront the killer with someday. So that, right.
3: Yeah. Because those may be, some people may think, Oh, well, they, they got, you know, they got stabbed or you know that might not be the case. It may have, you know, something else may have happened and shot or you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um makes sense. and that, that would be that would be detailed in the in the report.
2: That makes sense. Um, or, if wanna... they were,
3: or if they were poisoned, you know, I mean there could be
1: <laughs>
3: Lots a lot of that stuff is, is yeah. we it may be germane to the piece of evidence that you have that hasn't been released because it hasn't been put in the search warrants but they know it'll be in the autopsy report, so they may want to seal those. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's and it's interesting because on the federal side, you can see, I mean, excuse me, you can, uh, you can basically secure or you can uh, seal those indefinitely.
2: I, I can see why they would want to. I mean, that makes sense.
3: Right, so you have to be very careful when, you know, it usually takes a lot of time under your belt or you have somebody who has a lot of time under the belt because you want to review those. You want to review the, the search warrant, the, the probable cause affidavit, Because once you execute a search warrant or you execute an arrest warrant, that affidavit is now open record. Now, you don't want to have all your information in here. And this is something we've, we, it's hard because this happens everywhere I go, everywhere I work mm-hmm. is, your patrol guys will take their report and copy and paste that as their probable cause affidavit, and it has all the information. A lot of it's just oh, info, yeah. you know, so we have to take those and go, well, we're not going to use that because it tells X, Y, Z and we don't want to tell X, Y, Z. The only thing we want to do is give the judge just enough probable cause, to get the search warrant. Done because we don't want to start giving out details because we may lose evidence, we may lose things that haven't even been investigated yet. So if you do an open records request for your arrest affidavit, and the PD goes, "Okay, but we're going to send this off to the AG's office to get their opinion," well, that's that's pretty much what all agencies will do, especially if it's an ongoing investigation. Um, you you have the right to have it, but we're going to send it over there, get their opinion, and they're going to tell us what we can and can't release. And they're going to say, yes, you can release X, Y, Z, but you need to redact all this. Um, it's not really to keep people from getting information, but it is. It's not like we're hiding something from you because we've done something wrong. A lot of it has to deal with, it has key evidence in it. Right. And we don't want to release it because we're not finished with our investigation.
0: Right. It's for the good of investigation. Yeah, that makes sense. sense.
3: Um, I want to circle back to
2: the body cams again. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, have a question. No, sorry. I, I started out with a question that uh, you answered before I asked it and then Crystal asked the next one. So, but I thought of this one. Um, you said that the, the body cams, um, I guess, are recorded. Everything's recorded. So let's say that um, a couple of officers uh, were there initially in the beginning of an investigation, and they recorded, you know, everything that they did. Mm-hmm. And then they no longer work with the department. Do they take those uh, recordings and like file them somewhere so that future investigators or whoever that might be working a case can go back and review those for, you know, investigating the, the case further?
3: Yeah. So when you get back in your vehicle, and pretty much. The vast majority, all the, the major uh, companies that sell um, body cameras and in car systems, they all kind of work the same. Um, some of them have a hard drive that they, so let's say for instance, when the lights come on or they activate the body camera, it turns on the in car, it turns on their body camera. So now you got at least three recordings going at any given time. That you got your body cam going. It's got the inside of the vehicle going. It's got the rear compartment recording where the prisoners would sit back there in the in the cage area. All that starts recording. Um, when they're done and they get back in the car, uh, they have to stop the video, or it'll say there's a little screen up there and it has keyboard it has a little keyboard function where it has keys and letters and stuff. So what happens is uh, when you're done, you turn the lights off and hit stop video, then you have to assign it a case number or you have to give it some type of identifier. It already has who you are, it's assigned to you. Got your name on it. And uh, so when you clear it with the service number, it stays on the hard drive in the vehicle. And when you get close enough to RPD, like in the and red oak, um, when you get in the parking lot of the PD, it starts to to wirelessly download to the hard drive. It's um, saved on a a cloud base and and a server.
2: That makes sense. That's great. I know that's got to help y'all so much, you know, instead of, I mean, you know, when you're doing investigations and to keep y'all from people accusing you of stuff, like you said before, I mean, that's, that's got to be, yeah.
3: No, it's great. Now, the only time it becomes a problem is if you don't save the video, right? Because again, you got to clear it with the service number and then you got to clear what kind of offense it is. What, what is the call? Um, If you don't clear those correctly, There's different retention periods for different things. Like if you cleared it with um, um, no evidentiary value, let's say for instance, you stopped to help someone change a tire and you turned your camera on because now you initiated something. It's officer initiated, so you have to turn it on. You turn it on, you help them with the tire and get back in the car and you clear the scene and you save as non evidentiary right? So that's only going to retain for 30 to 60 days and then it's going to fall off. So we can. What happens is you run out of storage because these videos are now recording in, you know, high definition, 1040 p or whatever it is, and um, so it takes up a lot of space because you're recording three different camera, images, three different cameras at all times, usually. All right. So retention becomes a problem. Um, storage space becomes a problem. So different things are set up to either not purge or not come off. And those are your major crimes, like if you had a sexual assault or if you had an aggravated assault or any of your assault of all offenses are gonna stay on there, their retention period set for a year. And then you can go in and say never purge because you don't want it to ever fall off because it may be a murder that ends up, you know, 10 years from now, we they're gonna appeal it, you know, after you go through that trial. Anyway, you're gonna have to retain all that, so.
2: That makes sense.
3: Yeah, so storage becomes a problem eventually. But yeah, so everything's set up with different retention periods depending on how, what type of offense or what type of case it is or what the call is or what type, what the recording's about. And sometimes we have the ability to, let's say, for instance, I was driving down the road and um, a car passed me, which I didn't pay any attention to, but the next night I come in and they go, hey, we had a robbery at that house. And they said, looking on the video, that they were driving this kind of vehicle. And you go, I think I passed that car last night. We have the ability, if it's like within a 24 hour period, I do believe you can go back and actually find it because it records, but it doesn't store it. You know what I'm saying? It, it almost like records over itself. You can go back and kind of create the recording based off that within a certain time frame, which has been very helpful too. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. But you have to do it within that time frame because if not, it's it just kind of records over itself. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's always recording, but it, it kind of is always recording. If that makes any sense. Yes, but no. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's technology. So again, we're always behind the times, even in right.
0: The, yeah, you know, that makes sense. That. So, I, I, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: No. So I was going to just talk more about, you know, it's just in initial officer showing up to the crime scene, um, starting the crime scene log, making sure everything is secure. And um, they come out and call the on-call investigator, start the crime scene log, and no one's allowed to go back in the house. You own the house, sorry, we're locking this down. For the next two hours, it's ours because it's a crime scene. and Officers are always ready to get a search warrant.
0: How, do, how do you know when it's time to leave the crime scene? And and the, I guess the second part to that question is, have you ever been involved in an investigation where people are like, dang it, we shouldn't, we should have gotten this like maybe yeah. something was forgotten
3: Mm-hmm. absolutely
0: human error yeah. i'm sure it happens all the time i would think oh yeah it no
3: it does and there's been times where people forgot their forgot their own personal problem you know, like you take your crime oh, scene yeah. in there.
0: <laughs> right you took yeah. the
3: crime you took all the, the evidence out put it in the car but you left the crime scene you know bag in there and now you're either got to ask them to get it or you know but they'll usually get it back to you. But if there's evidence that you forgot, you're going to have to get another search warrant, especially when you said, I'm done. You know, when you're done and you turn it over, you're going to have to get another search warrant to get back in there. There's been times where we've had to go back and do that. And it it may just because we didn't forget, we didn't know it was there. We didn't know it existed until, you know, a day later when we actually did the interview with people and realized, oh no, they said it was hidden in this thing and it's over here. And now we have to write another search warrant to get back in there based on new evidence
0: how hard is it to get footprints in a building like i don't mean out in the dirt because that's probably Mm -hmm. pretty easy but if you're inside a house or a building of some sort do you guys dust for footprints maybe to get the pattern of a shoe
3: sure you know they got the plaster um that they do for the outside and you can kind of do it for inside depending on if it left mud you know or, or what have you um those type of things are especially if if it's if there's a boot print inside, that's usually because it was raining or muddy outside. Now you have to make the determination: okay, is this, does this belong to the person who is the suspect, or is this the police department who showed up to clear the scene to make sure that no one else was in here, or is this the fire department who showed up to give first aid to the victim? Yeah, those, those always become issues because every time someone shows up, you're contaminating the crime scene. Every time you flip somebody over to give them aid, you're contaminating the scene. But it, it's paramount for these guys to have their body cams activated and remember to go, okay, um, there's no threat in here, but let me make sure that I see the victim, how they're sitting or start narrating. Um, it was always interesting, like when I went to court, because I learned a long time ago that I would, I'd be, they'd go, are you talking to yourself, you know, on my videos, because they could hear me talking. Right. But what I was doing is I was just narrating things that I was seeing or if I ah. smelled something. And that's just a way of taking notes without having to write them down. That's a good idea. And even when I do interviews now, like when we have um, suspects or arrested people that we interview, I try not to take any pen or paper in there and I just talk to them because I want to focus on their responses. I want to see if, you know, if I'm too busy looking down trying to write down what they said, I may miss some clues. Yeah. Of them deviated, you know, their their eye gaze from me, or their nervousness, their trembling, the shaking. Or if I ask certain questions, they look over here and they don't want to answer. Um, I don't write anything down. I just go back and watch my. That's a go good out. idea.
2: That's smart.
3: It, it takes longer, but I mean, you got to do that.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, um, so, tr- you know, starting off and patrol, you know, getting those guys acclimated to hey, I know as silly as it sounds, but when you go in, if you smell something, go hey, I smell this. Just narrate it to the camera. You know, walked in the front door, make the first right, first bedroom on the right. Um, there's there's blood spatter on the, the yellow comforter on the bed. Uh, it smells like you know um, gunpowder in here. You know, just things like that because we don't know if it's not in your report, we're not going to know. If you don't mention it, we're not going to know. So,
2: and that's it, one of those things that gives you probable cause, right? Your senses—something yes. you see, smell, hear. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yep. And there's no problem. We can secure those things or, you know what, they can go, hey, this is what we saw. There's nobody in the house. There's a gun laying there. There's all this stuff laying out. We just went outside and secured it. No one else is getting in it. We're not touching it. And we're just going to secure it until, you know, crime scene gets here or CID gets in.
0: What percentage of the time do investigators... Do you think, I mean, maybe in your department, of course, worldwide, I wouldn't expect you to know, but like out of your experiences, how many times do you guys have to go in front of the judge before they say, okay, you can you can issue the search warrant or you can search this property? I mean, is it hard to get them, to, the probable cause to go through? I'm wording this horribly, I'm sorry. No, but no, it, no I, I get
3: what you're saying. Okay. So <laughs> the hard thing about it is you can't be so generic you have to be pretty specific about where you're going, and what you're looking for. You can't just say, you know, something that may have killed somebody at this house, because that's it's not going to cut it. You're going to have to be pretty specific on what it is you're searching for. Um, there's been, and I, I've never had a judge not sign a search warrant of mine. Okay. But um, I've had judges say, you may want to look at this. And I may go back and rewrite my search warrant to add that information, um, or I may just let them sign it as it is. Um, again, you know, you're you're violating someone's rights, and that's this document is giving you the power to violate someone's rights. So you have to make sure it's true, and you have to make sure it's accurate. And it's it's very intrusive what you're about to do, you're about to go search through everybody's stuff. Especially if you're looking for something that can be hit anywhere in the house. If you're looking for something that is small, like a thumb drive, that gives you permission to look in every, everything in that house where a thumb drive could fit.
0: I have also heard that if there is intentionally or accidentally anything just wrong in a search warrant affidavit, and then you risk all the evidence from that, affid- that search being thrown out. Is that true?
3: That is, that is true. So the first thing the defense attorney is going to do is going to get a copy of that search warrant. He's going to start looking through it to see what he can try to suppress. Because if he suppresses your search, then all that evidence is going to go away. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to shoulder on the investigators. You know, the investigators' responsibility to get this search warrant, and you try to you try to think down the road. You try to think. What happens at court? If they try to suppress this, is this you know because you would hate to lose the case, especially if someone has you know been seriously injured by someone else and your your search warrant gets thrown out and this guy or this girl gets to walk away after they've done something horrible to somebody because you didn't do you didn't take the extra step or you didn't you didn't do something differently. And we all take that. I mean, even if you if you lose a case. You take it personally because
2: right. someone was done
3: wrong, you know, and you feel like you let the victim down and you felt like you, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Your job is to do X, Y, Z. And I understand at the end of the day, it's, you know, the jury may make that decision, um, but you, you do, you do learn a lot from it. And I, I tell people all the time, we try to teach young guys and you try to teach officers. You've never had to testify because there's officers have never had to testify before. try to coach them and you go hey look i've I've been doing this for a while these are the things that have happened to me um you don't want to get on the stand and have the defense attorney attack you because you're going to leave there feeling like three inches tall um but sometimes that's the only way you learn what to do or what not to do
0: right i have another question that's similar to that but fast forwarding more toward the end of the investigation have um have you ever been in a department or in any kind of a investigation in a case where um, you have felt like you and your um, co-investigators, you feel like, hey, this thing's ready. We're ready to make an arrest. And has the DA ever sent you guys back and said, not yet. We're not ready.
3: So um, most of our cases all have arrests already done. So a person's already been arrested and already bonded out. We typically don't, Talk with the DA's office too much. We don't get them involved in our case unless um, unless it's a, a homicide or something to that effect. Um, um, then we'll reach out to the DA's office. And go, hey, this is what we had happen. Just let you know because it's a homicide and happened, you know, and I don't want you to find out through the media. Um, okay. They may send us somebody on scene just to have somebody from their office there just for any type of support or if you have any questions you know because they're attorneys and they'll send us maybe one of their investigators the DA investigators because they have their own investigators assigned to the DA's office
0: Ah.
3: and um, but they may come out to the scene just to see what's going on so they have a better clue instead of just waiting for all this paper to show up at their office and then they got to go review it and start looking at pictures trying to figure out what's going on right they may show up on scene um, they won't work the case for you, they're not going to take over, but they'll definitely make recommendations that uh, the only time we wouldn't probably arrest somebody is if maybe it was a case that, yeah, technically it meets the statute as an offense, but there's some underlying issues or we don't feel that it lines up directly with a violation and we haven't made an arrest. And we may send it over to the DA's office to have them review it and take it before the grand jury and then let the grand jury decide if it's an offense that we should proceed with. And then they'll do the, the their investigators will then draft the warrant at that point and okay. go arrest that person. They'll be indicted and then it'll go to trial from there. So okay. we do have the ability to sit down with the DA's office and talk about certain cases. Um, those are just probably a special cases that we do that on. Normally we just, patrol makes the arrest or if patrol hasn't arrested the person, then we investigate and make the arrest after we write the arrest warrant. And then we just send everything over to the DA's office once it's ready for court proceeding. And then we oh. only have X amount of days to get that filed. So say, for instance, you get arrested, we have to have that turned over within like 60 days, everything ready to go. Now there <laughs> well, could be some- That
0: reminds me, if if somebody is a suspect in a more serious crime, like a homicide or something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, and let's say that you need to put that person under surveillance. Who handles that? Who's the person watching them? You know, you you know, we see it on TV. You know, the police officers parked down the street in an unmarked car. Who handles that? Well, normally it happens
3: from your your investigations division and whoever the investigator assigned. It may not be the supervisor. Uh, The supervisor may just be there assisting. Getting you what you need so that you get it done. We've in the past, uh, since I came from that background, I have a lot of contacts who are law enforcement, and that's all they do. I mean, they they drive undercover cars, they wear you know they wear street clothes, they have beards. I mean, they look like your average Joe. They're not police. They don't look like police officers. And right. we utilize them sometimes, going, "Hey, do you have time to help me do surveillance on this person?" And usually you need about seven or eight people do a good surveillance detail, especially when they, they leave and start driving and then, you know, just coordinating all that. And they, everybody has radios and, you know, trying to tell everybody where they're going and then, car you know, everybody takes turns switching and getting behind, you know, so you don't, you don't burn yourself down knowing that, you know, they're doing surveillance on you
0: okay so what if one of your suspects in a local murder um moves to el paso texas that's a little far for you guys to be watching someone would you have local law enforcement partner with you to keep an eye on someone
3: yes absolutely or you reach out to a, maybe one of their um like a fugitive task force usually that's um like from a the attorney general's office i think they have one um you reach out to those guys and go, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm looking for. Um my case, uh, you guys assist us with you know doing surveillance and stuff like that. I try not to lend too much on local PDs unless they have an active um like a specialized unit that handles nothing but like drugs. Or because that's what they do. They do drugs, they do, they investigate drug offenses and they go out and they do surveillance. That's that they go hand in hand. So Oh. They don't have an active drug unit. I usually will try to lend more towards the federal side and just try to make contacts going, hey, who do you know? Do you have any agents over at DEA and you know, El Paso that we could use to follow our target? He's a you know, homicide. And almost 90% of the time, they're all ready to go as long as they don't have anything going on.
0: That's my, That was going to be my next question. If it's not drug li- related, so the DEA wouldn't be involved, would you call the FBI to help? Or what? what federal law enforcement
3: would help you um, with that. Yeah, I would. You, so it really just depends because usually in that DEA group, there's going to be FBI agents. There's going to be your local law enforcement, your sheriff departments. They all come together and make a big group, and then they all go out, you know, investigate. Okay. Um, but you can you can reach out to those guys. But FBI, um, I would reach out to the FBI just because, you know, dealing with murder suspects is more in line with some of their investigations. Well, that makes sense. But, um, yeah, it really just depends on what you're what you're wanting to get done, because, again, your local law enforcement agencies, they don't have a very big or active drug unit. And they all drive undercover cars that are not registered to the city, not registered to the police department.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: because those guys have been doing that, that's all they do. I mean, they follow people, drug stops, they get patrol to make stops for them, you know, and they that's usually who I use because they're, they've done that. They've been doing that for a while and they're really how,
0: help, how helpful are outside agencies to small town PDs when they get a complex case to solve? Is it, are they usually very helpful or? Is yeah, it you know, not I haven't helpful?
3: really, most, most law enforcement agencies that I've dealt with have been extremely helpful. I haven't had any really issues. There's may have been one or two that you just talk to the wrong person. You got to talk to, you end up having to talk to like a supervisor, or you get your commanding officer to talk to their commanding officer. Mm-hmm. And you, you, that's how you kind of get around that. It's because I hate to say this, but sometimes if you try to go investigator to investigator, if it's somebody who may be retired on duty and you know, they're a small agent and they don't want to really help you out, they don't, you know, there's just, you're not going to get much help. Yeah. What
2: are some reasons why they wouldn't work? Uh, why a, a police department wouldn't want to work with an outside agency?
3: Um honestly I I don't know that they necessarily wouldn't. Some may be hesitant because now they're going to be dragged into your investigation because now their name's going to be on a report. and They're going to have to come testify. They're going to obviously everybody that gets brought up or mentioned or, or touches the investigation is now going to be subject to all the courts testify on it. Oh okay. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, but it's it's in a in in whole, I mean, if it's a if it's an active investigation, I've I've always gotten pretty good response from all agencies I've called. It's been very few times I felt like this guy just doesn't want to help. Right.
2: Um let's talk
3: about DNA. Um and how how that's handled. All right, so DNA is a little bit different. You got to get a search warrant for DNA. Um and that can only be signed by a district judge, and you only have X amount of days to get served, It was like 10 days. So you, gotta, you have to have a pretty good idea where they're at. Normally, they've already been arrested. This person has been arrested for something, and now you're going to go get a DNA search warrant, so that now you can come and get their DNA, because you have DNA to too, which is usually like your sexual assault.
2: Okay. What about uh, DNA left at a crime scene when you're on a, like an unsolved crime? How does that mm-hmm. work? Who who handles yeah. the the you know collection of it and, and how does it work from there?
3: Yeah, it really just depends on if they're the officer. I mean, really, it's it's there's there's a quick training video you can you can watch on it because it's kind of self-explanatory. with taking the swab, the cotton swab, and you know gathering it and securing it and then getting it submitted to evidence for processing. Um, or if you're lucky enough to have like a crime scene tech um, that works, usually those are like civilian positions and they usually fall right under your property room technicians. So your property room technician, um, or like say for Midlothian, even Red Oak, their property technician is civilian position and they manage and handle the property room. Now it's it's overseen by like, uh, say for me, for instance, like the sergeant over the criminal investigation who is a licensed police officer, he he oversees the property room in the property room. So um, if we had a big crime scene or we needed to need her to come on scene, she would come on and act as the custodian for all the property. So she would show up and she would sit in a designated spot and the investigators would be out collecting the evidence and bringing it to her and she'd be documenting where it was found and who photographed where it was found. And that, that's a big thing too. When you're searching a place and you go, hey, I found something, and then you photograph it as you found it and then you bag it and then you take it to your crime scene custodian or your technician or if there's dna you go hey i need the technician to come in here and gather the dna and still come in and gather it and that's just so when we get ready to do the report and we have the chain of custody i don't have five or six people who've touched this dna right right that makes uh, sense. yeah i just want one person handling it because she's gonna be the same person that takes it to the lab to get it tested Anything that's going to probably go to the lab and get tested is probably going to be handled by just one person. Uh, One person may find it. A different person may find it and they go, hey, found something, photograph it. We need the tech to come pick it up, to come gather it so the tech can put her name on it. I gathered it. It was located by this person, photographed by this person. Um, I took custody of it. I placed it in evidence and then I took it out of evidence, submitted to the lab. Because all that stuff is going to be challenged when we go to trial yeah okay so um but that's usually how that works just like uh blood draws for you know dwi blood warrants uh, when officers go and get the search warrant for dwi suspect who's been arrested and they want to get the blood announced so they did it uh, they have to have a phlebotomist or a licensed nurse to pull it do the extraction take the sample, and then they turn it over to the officer and the officer takes it and puts it into the refrigerator and then it's not touched again. And it's dropped into the refrigerator and then no one else can access it except for the property tech who will come in and then tag it, put it into evidence and then secure it and then take it to the lab and get the analysis done.
0: Cody, how, <laughs> often, how often do you work cases over the years where Pretty much everybody in the department thinks they know who did a crime, but they just can't seem to get enough evidence. Is that a common thing, or or rare?
3: Um, well, I wouldn't say a common thing. Um, big things like that, you know, that, that's kind of difficult to answer. I mean, everybody kind of always has, yeah, I think they did it. We just don't have the evidence to prove it. No um and I, I don't know which one's more frustrating that we can't we can't prove what we all feel and know in our gut that happened or i, I would like to think losing it at trial would probably be thing.
0: yes i can agree with that you
3: no know, because we got the right person we know we got the right person now they're they're walking away from this and we'll never be able to charge them again for this you know
0: right that would be worse
3: you know and so I, I don't know, uh, but yeah, I've, I've had a couple where your gut tells you something and the evidence kind of wings that way and that's what makes sense to you, but just no, we don't have that smoking gun, so to speak, you know, that, that piece of evidence. Um, but that's why you try to capture everything you can. I mean, you, you really gotta start thinking outside the box as an investigator and going, I wanna capture this now because 10 years from now, some tip may come in and I can go, Check that tip against you know those phone tower dumps that we did you know, and that person show up. Now we have probable cause. That one thing we needed. That one little piece we needed. Mm -hmm. We we got it. Now we verified it. Now we have probable cause to go get the search warrant or go at least maybe even do an arrest warrant.
2: Whenever you're dealing with um, cases that have surveillance. I know sometimes it's real obvious, um, you know. Like I've even seen police post pictures and say, "Does anybody know this person?" Uh, but whenever you have surveillance that's not real good, which I've seen often, um, mm-hmm. there are times when police say, "Let's let's uh, you know, put a little bit more surveillance video out there to see if the public recognizes this or that or whatever." Uh, do you do you see that happen often, or is it just something that they just move on and try something else?
3: No, I you know I, I'm a big fan of it. You know I love pushing out bulletins to the public, especially if it's not something that we, you know, we don't have a good license plate on it. We're not even sure about the make or model because the videos are so horrible or grainy. I mean, it's just amazing to me that some of the some of the videos that businesses have are, are just. I, mean, I, I almost think that if you're going to have a business and you got to have an alarm and you got to have a camera system, that there should be some minimum requirements for these for these video systems before you can even get approved to have a, you know, an alarm right? because be they're, they're just horrible. Some of them don't even have any at all. They're just like, yeah, we don't have, them. we just have dummy cameras up there. And I'm like, well, doesn't help. But um, so yeah, if we have difficulty, I don't want to sit on that. I think more people that look at it, even if it's wrong information coming in, I, I don't see the, the harm in sending it out and having people look at it going, hey, we need help. We obviously, we can't, can't make heads or tails of this. I, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. I, uh, I think those type of things are, are good to do, especially when you have no leads and you can't even identify a suspect or a suspect vehicle or anything like that. I think that's great. I think right. once you've already developed a case and you know, you're kind of in it, I don't know if I would, you know, now if you start pushing that type of information out, you're going to have to start releasing some information now. There's always a downside, I think. You have an active investigation that's been going on a while. Now you're pushing out information to try to get tips and leads. You may get some or you may not, but now people are going to start asking for your case. People are going to start wanting to know the details of your case and start doing open record requests. Again, if it's still an open investigation, just run into this. Now I spend more time trying to answer these open records requests of what's not important, what can we release, what can't we. Okay, send it off for an opinion. Now we have kind of taken away from doing the investigation because now we're trying to hold on to what we got while still trying to obtain new information. Uh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, It, it, it that makes becomes, sense. It, it is very challenging. And again, I, I don't say that because I don't think people should know. I just think not everybody needs to know right now, especially on major crimes, um, and I, I just think we run into this problem where, again, you're wanting a jury of your peers to look at this who haven't seen it, and they've already seen it. There's no way, I mean, some of these things, they're seeing the video before the person's even bonded out of jail. Yeah, that makes sense. We haven't investigated anything, because you know, once it happens, not everything goes to CIV. I mean, it has to, the reports have to get approved. And then supervisor approved and then sent over to CID and then they have to send it out to assign it to an investigator. And depending on how many cases he already has, it may not be his top priority case unless it is a high profile case or it's it's a it's a murder or you know, something that we know we're gonna lose evidence on, so we have to get right on it. There's there's been times where we just go, okay, we know that this place got robbed, so let's jump on this right now just so we can get the video because they're probably not gonna have it a week from now. Right. Let's get the statements nailed down now because we're probably not gonna get them in four days. And then we may, after we've gotten that, you may go back to your other cases. You know what I'm saying? It's it's really it's a. it's kind of hard to keep up with at times. Right. And you may not go to trial on something for, I've got a case coming up that we did like five years ago. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I, I, you have to go, you have to go re-immerse yourself in that case again, right? So you have to start
2: Thank pulling you. up and
3: reading it because you're right. like, I
2: don't,
3: I don't remember. I remember,
2: yeah, I remember this, yeah. Not all the details anyway. Wow. You know,
3: it's. it's a complex
2: job and i i can see how y'all don't probably get even remotely close to
3: the appreciation that you deserve that's for sure well yeah yeah but then you know, I, I greatly appreciate that and you could say that about a lot of a lot of professors nurses teachers you know that's true very true um, not firemen they got it made so i'm not I'm, yeah. you know fine, <laughs> you know all of cops we're just secretly jealous of them because everybody loves them and you know they get they got the best <laughs> schedule and <laughs> you That's know, funny. everybody loves the firemen because they're like the the fun uncle, right? But mm-hmm. the police, you know, it's they're the authoritarian figure. You know, it's, it's like dad and your fun uncle. You'd rather go hang out with the fun uncle, yeah? Right? <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> um, but no, it's uh, you know, I love this profession. I love public service. I've been doing it my whole life. Um, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I wouldn't know what else to do. Um, it's just I grew up in it. I was it was ingrained in me from a very young age. And that's, that's you come that's, from that's a family
0: a family of law enforcement, don't you?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. my My dad started with Midlothian Police Department back in '74. Oh, the '75. Awesome. Yeah, when he retired from he when he retired he left Midlothian as a sergeant. He went over to the Ellis County Sheriff's Department as an investigator. Worked there under Barney Boyd. Before going to DPS, and then he was a trooper in Ellis County his whole career. And retired from there, and then was the constable here in Precinct Four for a little bit, and then yeah, retired again, and then went to work for the Sheriff's Department as a yeah. bailiff, and uh, retired from there. So he retired from the county, and, <laughs> and then my mom she also uh, worked for the. She was a court coordinator and a court reporter, and then she was the. Yeah, Court coordinator for uh, Judge Bob Carroll, and then she ended up working for uh, the county judge, Chad Adams, um, and then retired from the county. She was doing Homeland Security. So, I mean, I grew up in this county, um, and we're all just been in public service. So, it's
0: that's awesome. Um, uh, Well, I guess, was your dad still with MPD at the time of the other really high profile case back in the late 80s? No, on the,
3: on the Rayfield deal? No, he was he had just started with DPS.
0: Okay, so he wasn't there for that. I, re- I remember uh, that. I was young when that happened, but I remember it. I think uh, he was involved
3: in that as far as just being on the search team. Uh, I know he's in the book, uh, Innocence Lost. Right, right.
2: Okay. Which uh, case, I missed what you said, what case. I'm sorry.
3: Uh, that was the George Rayfield, the undercover. Oh, yes, search.
2: yes. I just didn't um, hear what you said. I remember. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah,
3: know, okay. He was in that book. He he knew he knew a lot of those guys that were still working there because well we lived in Midlothian too forever. Right, right. Seventy six.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, so you're original for sure, (laughs) original Midlothian.
3: Now I understand
0: that you're running for some type of office. Could you tell us about that, Cody?
3: Yeah, I'm I'm running for justice Justice of the Peace in Precinct Four. All right. um, um, Egan Judge Egan is there now, but he's not going to run again, and um. You know, about three years ago, I, I said, you know what? I, th- I think I'm, I want to do that, which was weird because a lot of law enforcement officers usually don't do that. They usually go the constable route. Um, but, you know, I think it's just because I spent so much time in investigations and working so closely with the courts and the judges and knowing how that side works and wanting to know more about that side. I said, I think I can take some of this training and tell my experience and just something new and something i'm interested in i think i can take some of those things that i've learned and maybe uh do a really good job at it so i threw my name in the ring for it and we are in early voting now so we'll see how that goes that's awesome Um, yeah uh march 1st is the election early voting is was last week and now to be this week coming up Uh, march 1st since there's three of us running on the republican side there's probably going to be a runoff which will be in April, and then we'll see who gets to go forward with the primaries. Um, we do have a Democratic opponent, and so we'll have to gear up for that. So we're just going to see who's the Republican candidate's going to be, and then go from there.
0: Well, that's very exciting. That's so cool. It's been
3: very interesting. I think, uh,
0: well, we really appreciate you spending some time with us here. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. Renee, did you have any more questions for Cody? No, you? I think I think I've checked all my questions off my little paper here, so I'm good.
2: <laughs> I <I'm, I'm close laughs> was Yeah. Awesome. And, um,
3: if you ever want to talk again, please don't hesitate. I can uh, I can probably arrange some. I've got a good resource for somebody who worked homicide. That's oh, all wow. that we did for like 28 years, and so um i know if i had a homicide i would lean heavily on him because that's what he grew up in i mean he knows that's what he did
2: yeah that would be great stay stay with us afterwards and let us see who that is we would definitely like to have an episode on that too because this is stuff that we don't obviously understand and we always are trying to figure you know i wonder what happens when they do this and we thought well why not have an expert on (laughs) so
3: yeah, if you yeah. ever have any questions or concerns or just want to run something by me, please feel free. I'm I'm Thank always you, I right? like to I like to inform people and keep them informed. I mean I've I've even had to do, you know, there's just a lot people just don't know. I've helped people get, you know, records, you know, just figuring out where and how to do an open records request. A lot of people, hell, a lot of offices don't even know that. Right. And I you know, I just you just learn doing that. And just I, I like to help people and keep people informed and if there's something I can't tell you, obviously I'd tell you, I couldn't tell you that, but other than that, I'd be more than happy to talk to you again.
0: Well, thank you so uh-huh. much. This was really enlightening. We appreciate it so much. And we will definitely take you up on that and talk to you soon. All thank right, you, Cody. Have work. a great evening. Thank, yes, you. thank you. Thank you so Thanks. much. Good
3: night. Bye-bye. Yeah.